when the British explorer Sir Francis Drake returned home to England after his fifth voyage around the world. And when he got to the River Thames, it looked that there was a storm that was brewing that was threatening the very vessel that he has sailed for many years. And this vessel was tossed about and was about to run aground. And the old mariner found himself to be in that condition, clinched his fist, and he said, Can it be that I, who have braved the dangers of the seven seas, must now be drowned in a ditch? I couldn't think of a better illustration that tells you where David was at this point of his life. This is exactly how David must have felt. He has defeated the giants and he has killed the lion and the bear with his bare hands. But now he is fleeing from Saul. He has slain these tens of thousands. But now he's running away from a frightened man. He has wrought great victory to the people of God. But now he's wandering in defeat. He had testified so faithfully to the power of God and the working of God. But now he is falling in the snare of self-pity. He has braved, as it were, in the words of Francis Drake, the dangers of the seven seas, but now he's about to drown in a ditch. And we come to this fourth in the series, and look at how, when he blew it, he grew from it. In his life, David has given us lots of examples to follow. He has taught us many great things. But he also gave us some solemn warnings. Warnings to every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. From the life of David we have learned the blessings of a willing servant's heart. We have learned the certainty of victory when God is in the center. From David we have learned the hand of God's protection when he has been put first. And foremost in our lives. But again today we're going to learn from David something else. We're going to learn that the fleeing of defeat comes in when the flesh dominates. We're going to learn that the running away of fear takes place when self-pity sets in. The wandering off of failure begins... When you take your eyes off the Lord and put them on yourself or even others. David ran off to Samuel, the great prophet. He looked for human encouragement, but at that time he really needed the divine inspiration. There's nothing wrong with going to friends, but there are times and there are moments that nobody can help but the Lord of Lords. But Saul tracked him. He found out exactly where he was and he tracked him down. And three times he sent three groups of messengers. And they were coming from Saul for one purpose. And that purpose is to kill David. And every time they arrive, they go into a trance. And they get into confusion. And they cannot touch him. Finally, Saul shows up himself. 
He comes in person. And he was thrown into an ecstatic trance. If you spend time studying the passage like I do, you cannot help but to think that with all these visible evidence of God's intervention, right in front of his eyes that very day, that you would think that with all of the miraculous dealings that God has showed him, you would think that David's fear would be quietened. But no, they don't. You know why? Because David was a man like you and like me. He had clay feet too. But when God is with you, and when your eyes are focused on him, He's going to ride the clouds for your help like he did for Moses. He will stretch underneath you the everlasting arm. He's going to turn the rock into a fountain of water. He's going to feed you with ravens just like he did for Elijah. He will use Rahab the prostitute to protect you like she did for Joshua's men. He will command his angels to pull you out of the doom of Sodom like he did for Lot. He will send his angels to zip the mouths of the lions like he did for Daniel. He will send his angels to open up the iron gates of the prison as he did for Peter. And I want to tell you, he sometimes and most times and every time, he comes in, shows up himself like he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he turns the fiery furnace into a beautiful garden. In 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 1, turn with me. There you find David decides not to stay still at Naoth with Samuel, where they, Samuel took him in order to spend a quiet time together and with the Lord. Instead of sitting still where the prophet of God has taken him, he panics. My God, protect us from panicking. David panics. And when he panics, he takes things into his own hands. And he said, I've got to do something. And I want you to look at the first verse of chapter 20. He comes to Jonathan and he says, What have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he wants to kill me? Now I want you to count those numbers of times that he says, I, mine, my, my. I would say, my, my, my. How many times does he refer to the Lord of hosts? How many times did he talk about the lion and the bear? When did he talk about Goliath and what God has done? Zilch. Not here. Please hear me right. When you start feeling sorry for yourself, when you begin to hold a pity party, when you start using I, my, and mine, look out. You are in a fleeing mood. You are in a backsliding mode. Some people think, you know, that to backslide, you leave the church and leave the fellowship and and live in blatant disobedience. I say not necessarily the case. I have backslidden for 18 months after I have come to know the Lord. And I can tell you they're probably the worst 18 months of my life. But you don't have to leave the church to backslide. In fact, recently I have read the story about a young pastor who after his ordination, he was appointed by his denomination to one of those churches where it was dead. I mean, the members were only members because their name on the mailing list only. They don't show up very often. And uh, 
This dear young man, he wanted to do something about it. He said, what do I do? Prayed about it. And finally, he decided to have a Sunday in which he was going to call No Excuse Sunday. Because when he got on the phone, started calling people, they all gave him all kinds of excuses. So he said, we're going to have one Sunday. We call it No Excuse Sunday. And here's what he had written in that letter, inviting these members on the mailing list to come to church. He said, cots will be available for those who say that Sunday is the only morning they sleep in. There will be eye drops for those who have red eyes from watching late Saturday night television. Steel helmets for those who will say the roof would cave in if they ever go to church. (laughs) Blankets for those who say that the church is too cold. And fans for those who say that the church is too hot. (laughs) He said the scorecards be provided for those who wishing to list all the hypocrites present. TV dinners will be available for those who cannot cook Sunday dinner and go to church at the same time. And then he said, as the the sanctuary is going to be decorated with Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who have never seen the sanctuary any other way. (laughs) Well, when I read this, I said, well, you know, God bless this uh, dear man, but uh, you don't have to leave the church. To backslide. There are many Christians who backslide right in the church. There are many Christians who hide from God in the very pews of the church. There are many Christians who flee from God and the word of God into a church program. There are many Christians who are running away from God while they're going to Christian counseling. There are many Christians who are living in blatant disobedience while serving in the church. David begins his backsliding and fleeing when he takes his eyes off the Lord and puts them on himself. Now there's one thing I want to tell you. Write it down, memorize it because it is absolute truth. If you find yourself in that self-centered mode, all the pastors in the world can't help you. All the counselors and the psychologists and the psychiatrists cannot help you. Nobody will be able to help you until you take your eyes off yourself and back on the Lord. You're wasting your time and their time. Until you make the decision, until you purpose in your heart, until you decide in your mind to take your eyes off yourself and put them on the Lord, no one can help you. No one. David thought that Jonathan would give him the peace that he was looking for. David thought that Jonathan would give him the sympathy that he was longing for. David thought that Jonathan would give him the healing that he is looking for. But in this situation, David's comfort, David's healing, David's peace can only come from the Lord himself. But it gets worse. Look at the passage with me. Chapter 20. Verses 5 and 6, it gets worse. You see, when you break fellowship with God because of disobedience, because of sin, because of anger, because of whatever it may be, when you break fellowship with God, what is going to happen? You go on the slippery slopes. You cannot stand still. You either go down or you go up in the Christian life. And when you break fellowship with God, you can only go one way, and that's down. David asked Jonathan to lie for him. Here's the, the, the first manifestation of the backsliding. He asked Jonathan to lie for him. 
It is not surprising for me, therefore, to look at Psalm 119, verse 29, and find David saying, Remove from me the way of lying. I have seen this again and again. When a person is living in disobedience, the next natural step is to lie. And it keeps on progressing downward. And then they develop a siege mentality. They want to know who is for them and who's against them. They develop a paranoia. They become preoccupied. What do people think of me? And when somebody comes to me with that kind of, I said, who cares what people think? What does God think? That's who matters ultimately. Do you know why the Bible has never provided us for an armor for the back? When you go home, read Ephesians and read the whole armor of God. Every bit of it, there is not one provided for the back. (laughs) You got the whole front covered and nothing for the back. Do you know why? Do you know why that has happened? Because in a spiritual life, in a spiritual walk, in a spiritual warfare, there can be no running away. The only time the Bible says flee is from temptation and sin. In the Christian walk, there's only advancing. In the Christian walk, there is only conquering. In the Christian walk, there is only going forward. There is no running back. In fact, it was Julius Caesar who, when he landed on the shores of Britain with all his Roman legions, he took a bold and decisive step right after they landed. And that decisive step was designed in order to ensure success for his military venture. When the man got to the edge of the cliffs of Dover, he asked him to halt. And then he commanded him to look back down in the water from which they came across the channel. And to their horror and to their amazement, they saw every single ship in which they have crossed the channel, was engulfed in flames. Caesar had deliberately cut off any possibility of retreat. Now that the soldiers were unable to return to the continent, there was nothing left for them to do but to advance and conquer, and that's exactly what they did. Now, if you're a Brit, you might not like it, but at least the illustration is appropriate. (laughs) Of all the weapons of warfare, spiritual warfare, God, the Holy Spirit, has not given us one for the back, for retreat. True, God never breaks fellowship with us. God always loves us. God is always there. God never forsakes us. But when we deliberately choose to run away, when we deliberately choose to flee, in so doing, we put ourselves in jeopardy. We put ourselves in a position of defeat. We put ourselves in a position of retreating when we should be going forward. You might be that person here today who have let your love for Christ grow cold, lukewarm. You've lost your first love. You may be that person here who hear a sermon after sermon and teacher after teacher and read a book after book. But you are in a fleeing mode. You are busy doing things, but producing no fruit. You are running and running as if on a treadmill. 
You are going from place to place, but have no joy. You are building and accumulating, but not experiencing the blessings of God. You're going through the religious motions, but your spirit is dry as a bone. God described this condition through his prophet Haggai in Haggai 1.6. He says, you sow much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're never satisfied. You drink, but your thirst is never quenched. You close yourselves, but you never get warm. You make money as if you're putting it in a bag with holes in it. Not experiencing the blessings of God. Although from the outside, everything seemed to be wonderful. But you know, and the Lord knows. What is the cause of your fleeing mode? Is it dishonest gain? Is it unhealthy relationships? Is it an immoral lifestyle? Is it unfaithfulness with the blessings that God has given you? Is it carrying bitterness and anger that you should have dealt with a long time ago? Bitterness and anger toward God or bitterness and anger towards somebody? Is it an unforgiving spirit? Is it an uncontrolled tongue? Is it fleeing from God because you began to feel sorry for yourself? Whatever is causing you to be in the shambles of fleeing mode, you can turn around and come back today. Finally, turn with me to the latter part of chapter 20. In fact, beginning at verse 19, which we have not read. Jonathan and David make a covenant with each other. And here's the agreement. David said to Jonathan, I'm going to hide in the field. And you go over and sound your father out. See if he is really determined to kill me or he wants to spare me. Just go over and find out. And give me a signal. To tell me which way to go. Now, David here stands at the crossroads of life. Some of you may be here today at the crossroad of life. He's saying to himself, will I be able to go back to my wife, Michael? Will I go back to my comfortable surroundings? Will I be able to go back to my earthly possessions? Will I be able to go back home where has become my home? Or... Will David become a fugitive on the run? Is he going to leave everything behind and go to the unknown? Is he going to lose everything that he has and face uncertainty? Will he be in a condition where he's got nobody, nobody but the Lord? Here's where he stood. And here was the signal. The signal was for Jonathan to shoot three arrows. And he said, if the arrows will fall before the stone, then I know everything is all right and I'll go home. But if the arrows will go on the other side of the stone, then I know I've got to go on the run. That's a sign, that's a signal that they agreed to receive. Can you imagine with me? Just focus for a minute. He's standing there in the field alone. And watching those arrows and waiting for Jonathan to come, the first arrow goes beyond the stone. 
And David probably saying, well, it may be a mistake. He just, out of enthusiasm, Jonathan may have overshot it. And then he went for the second arrow. He goes, the other side of the stone. Or maybe it's a mistake again. Let's wait and see what's going to happen to the third one. And here's the third one lands beyond the stone. You can feel, you can imagine that empty feeling. That feeling in the, in the pit of his stomach. When he saw his whole future. had just passed in front of his eyes. Imagine his feelings of despondency and discouragement and uncertainty. Oh, where will I go from here? Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. In many ways, the stone of Israel here is like the cross of Christ. Before the cross, there is the worldly kingdom. There is a worldly life. After the cross, there is a separation from the world. There's a reliance only on the Lord. And yet the Apostle Paul refused to glory except in the cross of Christ. To whom the world has been crucified. To him and he to the world. And to glory in the cross of Christ. It may mean sometime as Henry Light said. Jesus I my cross have taken. All to leave and follow thee. Destitute, dispossessed, forsaken. Thou from hence my all shall be. Perish every found ambition. All I have sought and hoped and known. Yet how rich is my condition. God in heaven. Are still my own. Well, you may be a person today who, due to circumstances totally out of your control, that you are where David was at that point of his life. You may be a person who have seen the arrows being cast on the other side beyond the stone of Israel. The arrows of losing your loved one, the arrows of Deteriorating health, the errors of financial reversals, the errors of betrayal of your dearest and the nearest, the errors of your children who have disappointed you. They all have fallen beyond the stone of Israel. Nobody understands that horrible feeling that you have in the pit of your stomach except you and the Lord. He knows exactly where you are and how you feel. He was with David. He is with you. You have tried so desperately to hold on to something that is snatched from your hands. Your heart is clinging to that which is ripped off you. You have agonized to keep what is familiar and what is comfortable. But God permitted you to leave it. The arrows have landed beyond the stone. The arrows have landed beyond your own comfort and comfortable target. The arrows have landed where you have nothing except the presence of the Lord. But that's everything. Remember this. Like David, God is leading you onward and forward. Because God is supreme above your circumstances. God is supreme over all your surroundings. And God's purpose for you, always for the good and for your best. For David, 
God's purpose was a throne. But you know what? He will have to go to it by way of a cross. God's purpose for David is a throne. But it is beyond the stone of Azel. And God has a purpose for you. But you may have to get to it through a cross. Well, let me conclude as I occasionally feel led to testify to the goodness of God and to the faithfulness of God and for the grace of God. It's one of those times. There are many times in my life when I have watched the arrows go beyond the stone of Azel. In fact, three times, at least, my wife and I had to leave the familiar, had to leave the comfortable, and go beyond the stones. Not by choice. And with all the puzzlement, and with all the apprehension, and with all the confusion, and with all the anxiety that accompanied watching these errors go beyond the stones, we knew and trusted in the God of grace. And He has never failed us once. Has the Lord failed you? God's promises are as true as God Himself is true. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, not in some of them, not in most of them, Not in the majority of them. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. David taught Solomon some good things here. Some of you are in a fleeing mode. Turn around. Your back is not protected. God wants you to come back. Some of you are finding yourself in the apprehension and the anxiety of seeing the arrows fall beyond the stone of Israel. And out of anxiety and out of fear and out of apprehension, you want to flee. And you're about to flee. Stop. Stop. Say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with my whole heart. Because I know that you will be with me on the other side of the stone. Shall we pray? In the silence of the moment, I want to invite you to examine yourself before God. Are you dealing God in the picture, the whole picture of your life? Or are you keeping him out? And thus you are in a fleeing mode. You're in a fearful mode. Have you taken your eyes off him and focused on yourself and your circumstances and your blessings? Or do you keep your eyes on the blesser? The scripture again and again said, examine yourself, examine yourself, examine yourself. Because God knows that we are prone to flounder. We are prone to fumble. We are prone to stumble. The Spirit of God spoke to you today. Respond to him. Heavenly Father, we are truly privileged people. Because you persevere with us again and again. Because your word said that because you loved us, you loved us to the end. Even when we flee and backslide, we know, Lord, that you're still there. Your love is never changing. There's no degrees of love. You love us just as we are. 
But we also know, Lord, that it is a desire of your heart and that we would turn to you, that we cleanse ourselves by the power of your Holy Spirit and come to you clean, washed, in order that you may mold us and shape us into the men and women, the boys and girls that you want us to be. Thank you, Father, for overruling the weakness of a man and preaching and proclaiming your word in your strength, not in a man's strength. I thank you for your goodness and I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. Abide with us today, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.